0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: And I covered nationally, but like a lot of times I always say that a lot of our radio regionals, they were married or they had families and on the weekends when there would be like an OzFest and there would be a bunch of, we would have six bands on OzFest and there'd be meet and greets and promotions and and roadie for a day and stuff like that. They would be like, they would tell our boss, Dave, like, Dave, Amy doesn't have kids. Can she go out and cover that first? We have our kids this weekend. And my boss would be like, you want to go out? I'd be like, yeah, I loved it. I would be like, I had to make sure that Zach Wild would sign his guitars or that Corey Taylor and Joey would be ready for their meet and greets. And there were times when I was like, "I'll, I'll put on Mask if I can't find these guys and go do it because I'm as tall as Joey or whatever. But <laughs> that
0: is fucking hysterical. That was true. I mean, I, could be- ju- I, I, th- I think I had a two hour conversation thinking that you were Joey one time. Uh, yeah, I, Way know. Back in the I, know. Day. I know.
1: I know. I know. I double for him. Um, I'm his doppelganger.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Benny Goodman and welcome to another episode of 2020. If you have not subscribed yet, please do so. Go and like it. If you don't like it, go and tell us why you don't like it. It's fine. We can handle it. I'm here with my cohorts, Siobhan Cronin. Hey, guys. My cohort on 2020, our show, 2020-D.com. Do you want to tell them to subscribe as well?
2: Please like and subscribe. And then,
0: of course, (laughs) another guy that's probably going to tell you that you should subscribe and and like and go to 2020-D.com because it's with Sound Talent Media. Corey Peza. It's
3: a free country. They can do what they want. But if you do go to 2020-D.com, you can buy a t-shirt with our faces on it.
2: Yeah, so go do that.
0: <laughs> and it's Paul Lorenzo, our drummer, who did that shirt. And uh, he does art, too. So if you like it, go check it out. And, um, you know, buy our faces.
2: <laughs> So this week we have a really special guest. Speaking of that, (laughs) speaking of PR and marketing ourselves and telling people to subscribe, we have an amazing guest, Amy Chiaretto, who comes to talk to us about all things, music, metal, PR, radio, like all the, dare I say, hold on.
0: Is she the queen of metal?
2: She <laughs> hates that you call her that. No, she's, she's the queen She's going to hear this and be like, why? No,
0: <laughs> no. you want to know why? Because she didn't say it. If she, like, if she was the self-proclaimed queen of metal, like, that's obnoxious.
2: But the that's fact how cool that she, she is, that somebody else actually proclaimed her that. And that, and that, she's, that she's annoyed like, by oh, it? No. Yeah, yeah, I think
0: that that's awesome, because you want to know what? If I was the queen of metal, I would still go by it. I bet you Angel Vivaldi's like, I... I thought I was a. Queen You'd put of metal.
2: that in your bio on Instagram if that was. You. I
0: absolutely yeah, would.
3: You'd wear that like a badge. Hashtag fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now Amy's amazing. She's had such in a like a long uh, and and well known career in, in the industry. She worked with bands like. Uh, she got kill switch she has all that remains she has star set which is always cool because we get to uh they're mysterious get, to, you know worlds are colliding here Do you guys yeah. work in
0: mysterious ways like God <laughs> like are you a flood that kills a bunch of people but you were just mysterious
2: oh my gosh no I mean the list of people she's worked with was it was amazing to hear how many people she referenced them like and she's so young it's like how how did you have time in your life to work with this many people
3: yeah and it just kind of goes to show you that she's lived it from the beginning right out of high school getting into the industry and without giving too much away it's just a really great story and especially this episode we get to hear you know how, how she became you know this 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 it girl in this there's industry there's a reason why PR. she's
0: where she is and it's because she worked really hard and she w- walked uphill both ways in the cold and the heat by herself because she wanted it and that's metal this is amy check it out
3: Hello and welcome to another edition of 2020. My name is Corey Peza, and I'm here as always with my cohorts, Siobhan Cronin. Hello. And Benny Goodman. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Doing great, Ben. That was a very polite response. You always savor that. the
2: moment, right, when you've been introduced. <laughs> you like, always wait a second, yet every other time you'd love to just jump in.
0: Yeah. We Sometimes a, you just got to be relaxed.
3: <laughs> you are. You are. Not that often relaxed, but I'm glad that you're relaxed on these shows sometimes for a little <laughs> bit. Um, we have a great show today, super pumped. We're going to be talking to the founder and president of Adam Splitter PR, working with bands like Kill Switch Engage, All That Remains, Who? Fr- friends of ours, Corn, and Who? uh, even I see Star Set here, which we got to get into a little bit. Um, and Star uh, Set. She, she's Aren't they also- Scientology. Exactly. Okay, Ben, let him
2: introduce our wonderful guest today.
3: <laughs> She's also an extremely accomplished rock journalist writing for publications like Revolver, Alternative Press, Guitar World, and a whole lot more. I, She's queen of like, metal. Yes, queen of metal. Oh, and so queen we're very, metal! very happy to welcome <laughs> Amy Sciaretto.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for being with yeah. us today. Wow, that's yeah. I, <laughs> I, Corey mentioned, that and I was I was reading about you, and I, I'm the violin player in Starset. So I believe maybe we didn't cross paths. You mentioned, I think in an article I read that you were working with artists that were at Razor and Tie, um, and I actually joined like shortly before we switched over to a different label. Mm-hmm. um so that was cool to find out we have some common history
1: yeah yeah i i work with um fearless so oh, i'm sorry not razor yeah. and tie fearless yeah. yes yeah i okay. do all, i do most of the fearless bands so okay yes so i've been working with star set for a couple of years now so wow
2: wow okay <laughs> i'm surprised we haven't met yet but you know. i know at a show or something yeah well i guess this year is yeah. kind of <laughs>
3: out for shows yeah i don't i don't Water think, shows
1: I, yeah i know right i remember those
3: <laughs> so, Amy, why don't you just give us a little, little more background about yourself? Talk about you know your company and and what you do you know on a daily basis.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I worked at Roadrunner Records for a really long time, and then I um, started my own company, which is Adam Slaughter PR. And I, after I left Roadrunner, um, a lot of the Roadrunner bands came with me: Killswitch, Gojira, Machine Head. I still was working with them. And I actually still work with Roadrunner, um, uh, like as in like, I'm like a sub, like um, an extension of their PR department. And I have been since I left and I love it. It's a great team and, you know, it's my family. So I still do that. But um, I started my own company in 2000 and the end of 2012, early 2013, I think it was. And I basically... um, you know, uh, was working with some of the other roadrunner bands and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And then it just started snowballing from there where a lot of, you know, managers or labels that I had worked with or had written about their bands were coming to me and like, Hey, I have this project and need you on it. And it just like snowballed from there. Uh, within six months of starting it, I needed an assistant because it was just that busy and I never expected it. And had I known it would, take off the way it did, I probably would have done it sooner because uh, it was a lot more lucrative than, you know, um, than any other job I ever had. Uh, but I was also never the kind of person that's like, oh, my God, I want to, like, deal with business administration and stuff like that. So I basically... Um, you know, the company's been growing ever since exponentially every year is our best year yet. So um, we're very blessed and very lucky. We work with amazing bands. It's not just me, it's me, uh, Mike, Tim, Seth, and we have always have interns Uh, right now. We have Caitlin and and, uh, Monique who are amazing. So it's, uh, it takes a village, you know, to do everything that we're doing and to handle all the bands that we handle. Um, But we basically handle all press aspects Uh, for all the bands that we handle you know the Pretty Reckless we have I Prevail we have uh, in this moment Trivium Killswitch uh, you know uh, tons and tons of bands that we work with and um, you know on a pretty much daily basis just making sure that their press profile continues to grow continues to develop and continues to get better.
2: How does someone end up in PR versus you know like I'm curious about your background growing up obviously you're a music lover how did you Find your way into the world of marketing pr and working with artists i basically um you know
1: was a, a music fan like really from a young age like a lot of my friends their first concert was always like Ozfest or or Lollapalooza or you know mayhem or warp tour and my first concert sort of like kissing acdc when i was still single digits in age because i had really cool your parents, parents are awesome yeah. yeah, I did. I had really cool parents when I because first. they met Brian- wanted the best for you, and they gave you the best. Yeah, I wanted the best. I got, I got the best. But like, seriously, when I met Brian Johnson from ACDC for the first time at an event um, that Electra, his label had had sponsored when I was still writing, um, I told him, I said, like, you know, I saw ACDC when I was like six, and he like kissed me on the forehead. And he said, "Your parents are fucking crazy, and that's awesome." <laughs> but, um, you know, my oldest brother was a huge music fan, and he used to. Um, sit in his room and he would let me put a headset on with him and we would listen to like vinyl records all kiss ACDC you know um, uh, journey and and Aldo Nova and Joan Jett and stuff like that so I was really influenced at a very young age to like music to love music it was like a real big part of my life like some people listen to music and then some people it's part of your life like I was going to concerts I was wearing the t-shirts I mean I have a picture of myself when I was four years old, wearing a Kiss T-shirt.
0: Well, I have that a very was... important question. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, interrupt. we had our, our drummer Paul Lorenzo on, and he loves Paul Stanley's banter on stage. In fact, there's, I don't know if you've seen it, but on YouTube, there's like a 48-minute mashup of almost all the bootleg banter of Paul Stanley on stage because it's some of the best. Is there, having seen Kiss, is there anything you've heard him say that you just said to yourself, that's, this is why I love Kiss?
1: No, never. It's It's because he's reading it off a teleprompter.
0: You know, that's
1: it's 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 rehearsed. Thank you.
0: I can never sinky.
1: I could never, um, anything that he says has been fed to him by whoever's running. It's like, it's like Ron Burgundy and Anchorman, you know, and they, you know, it's like whatever they put on the teleprompter, Burgundy will read it.
0: Wait, so he wasn't, wait, so he wasn't hot when he asked you about hotter in hell? Like, cause he always, is it hot in here? And I just thought it was hot in there. And then they just played the song because of it.
1: I think it's, that's for all the guys in the front row, I guess. Okay. I can't see the guys in the front
0: row. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: James Simmons will disagree. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, true, true. They're all backstage waiting for him.
2: You, so you grew up loving music and obviously yeah. attending concerts. So it, it, at what point did it occur to you that this might be a career or what was it sort of organic, the growth into that?
1: Um. Yeah, no. Well, I always used to watch MTV when they actually played videos. You know, I would um want to be the per- Like, I would watch the VMAs every year and I loved it. I looked forward to it. I'd be like, oh, my God. And you would so that's when they would like cut to a commercial you would be able to see people running backstage with headsets on like this and the clipboards. And I always just think because I didn't have any natural talent to be on the stage. So I was like, I want to be the person who's back there seeing everything that's going on and making it happen. I just knew it from a very young age from watching it. I was like, I want to do what those people are doing because whatever's happening back there is probably pretty cool. So I I just knew it when I was really young. I mean, I just always – I was always so – you know, watching, um, MTV for the videos and the people who were involved and I would watch the Grammys and I loved all the music award shows, uh, because of that. And, uh, when I got, when I was in high school and college, you know, all my boyfriends that I dated and all my friends that we would go to shows and I would just pick up music magazines because they were very prevalent and prolific at that time. So I would just, um, Pick up the free music magazines that were when you're at a venue. They would be outside, you know, or right Remember in, in those? the little. Yeah, yeah, right. There was Remember tons of to the, the,
0: the little the Boston <laughs> sound check, and yeah. it would tell you all the bands and the exactly. back, was all the funny business. You could see all like the local stuff, and like people actually cared.
1: Yeah, then you could. And they read,
0: it, and guitar players actually read. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, they actually could. They actually could read. But um, I or used got to the just, bass
0: player to do it for him.
1: Yeah, or the drummer. <laughs> But, um, I used to uh <laughs> um I would just uh reach out to those magazines or have friends like hook me up to write for them, so um, I found out early that I could get the music early, get it for free, and interview the bands that I love and talk to them
0: and write about it because I' was I a love, good writer I love that because you, I I gotta tell you this i I feel when I was reading about you, I felt so much in common with you because the first thing I realized being. Um, the BS artist that I am mm-hmm. was if I want to get free music and if I want to go backstage and meet people work for somebody and say you write things yeah so it I, um, my first my first thing I ever did was write for Boston Soundcheck and I did a review of Corn and Black Sabbath or Ozzy or something like that and he was like, you're great, kid. So I started having him fax stuff with his letterhead over to everybody. And that's how I met Slipknot. And that's how I met Ozzy and, and Pantera and all these bands. was And it was so amazing. My mom would be like, you got six things in the mail. And it was all CDs. And it was free. awesome. And, and it's the best thing. And I got to tell you, that's how I know you're the real deal, that you are the queen of metal. Because <laughs> someone who says to themselves, I'm going to do this so that I can be around music all the time is someone who really does love music.
1: Yeah, I just was like, wow, I'm getting it for free. And I get to talk to the bands. And, you know, I liked writing, too. I was a good writer, just naturally always in like in school. So I was like, wow, I can combine all the things that I like into one. And I just did it. And it just snowballed. It was a typical, like everything that I did. It's just like you start doing one and then another one hits you up. Hey, you want to write for us? So I was writing for like the hardcore magazines, the local uh, monthlies, the weeklies, because they had tons of them back then. They're, they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the only way you could find out about bands and get to know things was by reading them in magazines so um that's what i used to do and it just spiraled and i would always uh take on new magazines and then i started getting paid for the things that i was writing too so i was like wow i can get paid and get it all for free it was Mm -hmm. like wow i don't you know all my friends in high school and college they were like going out partying and going to bars I was like ah, I'm just gonna go over to Philly because I grew up right outside of Philly I'm gonna go over to the chalk and go see uh, you know Fear Factory and I'm gonna go see all the opening bands because I wound up loving all those bands too or writing about them so uh I just knew really young and I always wanted to do that and when I got to college you know I ran the college radio station I ran the school paper did the music section I interned um and I just kept looking for more magazines to write for
2: that's amazing. So when you your your first shot at writing, when you wrote into the magazine to ask if you could write for them, where was this in high school or college? Were it was you, like the end of high school and early. college. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, that's incredible. That's so bold. Because you're right. I mean, so many people just be like, Oh, yeah, I want to do this. But like, don't ever take the first step. And I think, you, you know, a lot of people would be surprised to hear that sometimes you just have to reach out and like ask for something and then you get that opportunity. Or they just don't know what
1: they want to do. And like, I had friends that were like, like when I was graduating college, I was having job interviews before I even had a diploma and I was going up to New York because I would just, I just got so ensconced in it and talking to publicists and radio people and getting to know people who already had the jobs that I wanted and working with them uh, by writing and working at the radio station. So that was like, you know, it was an easy entry point for me. And I had friends who, while they were like getting ready to graduate and getting their degree, still didn't know what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So can, I was can like. Can we
0: slow that down for one second? Because you just said something super, super, super important that I admire so much and I think is so integral to people's success. You found someone doing what you want to do, then you associated with those people. Then you yeah. said, How the heck do I do this? Yeah, of course. And it's great because. I was told a long time ago by someone in the industry, like anyone who's good at anything that really appreciates what they're doing, if you ask them questions, they'll help you. Yeah. And you ask the questions and you got in there and, and you did it. And, and that's so important for people to realize that no one's going to help you. So while everyone's going to school and thinking, hey, I'm going to get a job. The people who are getting the real jobs are the people that are are going on the scene and saying, I want to do music. And you're showing up and watching Static X before Fear Factory and Mm -hmm. waiting out by the tour bus to be like, yo. And that's how you meet those people and you do all that sort of stuff. So I encourage anyone listening. There's a reason why Amy is the queen of metal. (laughs) Oh, God, that term. (laughs) I like it.
1: I can't, I was not, I did not christen it myself. It was a magazine. Well, for, then that would be late. You can't make up your <laughs> no, own No, of course not. I would be so silly. I would never, <laughs> I would never, um, yeah, I would, that was just be douchebaggery. But uh, <laughs> no, that was from a magazine. Like a magazine said that about me when, uh, and they wrote a. they did a feature on me, um, when I worked at Roadrunner and I used to just, uh, you know, that just kind of got carried away. So, <laughs>
2: That's incredible, though, just like, you know, seizing your career before you're done with school, because that's another a lot of people will ask me, you know, if you go to music school, there's so many people that get in the endless loop of like, okay, I'm going to get a bachelor's. I'm going to get a master's. I'm going to like just keep waiting, waiting, waiting for the career to like find me when I get out. But so many of the people that start a career, it happens while they're doing that, you know, like before they're even done with school, even, you know, you kind of have to jump on that and be on the front end of getting that experience in the real world, you know? Mm hmm. So that's incredible. Out in gen pop. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. So (laughs) I just didn't, you know, I just knew what I wanted to do. I I, I never like, it was never wavering. It was never like, oh, maybe I want to do this or this. I, I was just completely, you know, headstrong and ambitious and like convinced that that's what I was gonna do. And I made it happen. I mean, when I got my first job out of college was CMJ um, and I uh, I wanted to work there so bad because I, I it was the like the intersection of all the things I loved. It was the music industry, it was the music industry trade magazine. And I wanted to, you know, work in the music business and be a writer. So that was, where I could write about the music business. I mean, how perfect is that? And write about music at the same time. And almost like I, I remember when I, I interviewed for the job there uh, when I was getting out of college, like the, the they showed me the stack of resumes that they got for the editorial assistant position. And it was like as tall as I was, you know, and I don't know how yeah. I got that job. I was just persistent. You know, they they took forever to make a decision. There was two editorial assistant positions and I had the job interview in, in like early May before I even graduated. And I knew I wanted that job so bad. And I had other job interviews that I went on. And uh Um, I knew I was going to get offered a few of those jobs. I just waited until July. And I called them a few times, went back for a second interview. And this was like, they were based in Long Island at the time. So I had to commute all the way from Philly. I was trying to move out of my parents' house. You know, I was like, I want to get out of here. And basically, I, I called them. I said, "Listen, I'm, uh, I'm gonna take one of these other jobs if you guys don't hire me. So I need to know Monday, uh, uh, you know, or a Friday, if I got this job or not." And they called me Friday, and they said, "Okay, we're, we we want to offer you the job." And they, I remember, my first boss said he felt like he was Monty Hall giving away a pri- the grand prize because I freaked out. I was so happy because I, I, I basically, you know, I put all my cards on the table, and they like. They could have called my bluff and they didn't. They hired me. They could have said, "Okay, go take the other job. And I would have. But the job I really wanted was there and I got it. So you just sometimes have to be really strategic about it, I guess.
2: Wow. Good for you. That's a hard thing to learn, you know, because a lot of people. Yeah. They look at a big company or some job that they want and they're they're afraid to ask for it, you know, and you can lose an opportunity that way, I guess, if you don't put the pressure on
3: people.
1: Yeah, I was like 21 years old at the time too. Wow, good for you. That's <laughs> yeah. incredible.
3: So you never never even considered like a, a fallback plan? It was always going to be in, in that industry?
1: Yeah, no. My dad would That's sometimes awesome. say, you know, maybe you need to like consider getting a full-time job and like doing all that other stuff on the side and still still pursuing it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And if I had to, I would have, but cause I could always still do it on the side. Cause you could write, you know, that's like a, you could do that as, as a hobby.
3: As someone who did that and, and, and put like, music as like my side hustle for 10 years and worked at like a nine to five uh, you made the right choice <laughs> i eventually got around to doing it full-time but it took me a while
1: <laughs> yeah it does like you just have to like be really but when i first got that job at cmj i mean i was making poverty level salary and i live in new jersey and i moved to north jersey from south jersey but i i It still cost me almost $300 a month to get to work because I had to take three methods of transportation. And when you're making like $20,000 a year, that's a significant Mm -hmm. chunk of your income. It was like, I had enough money to pay for rent and to get to work. And it was like, okay, so I got to walk everywhere. Like I couldn't take the subway because it was too expensive. So that's how I I walked around Manhattan. That's how I, you know, got to know the city because I didn't want to go home because I didn't have air conditioning didn't only had two TV channels and it was really hot. And I had to walk around. So that's, it was like, it forced me to experience Manhattan because it was expensive and I was happy to be there though. And happy to have the job and I would never have changed it for anything.
0: That's wow, great. that's yeah, pretty, it's pretty incredible the perseverance and, and again the dedication because one of the things we we see on the show with a lot of people that are, are very successful is that they kind of manifest what they want and everything from like, you know, you listening to your ACDC records to like meeting Brian Johnson and getting a kiss on the forehead mm-hmm. to <laughs> going to, to New York and not having enough money to do anything else, but you're fucking there. And that's Mm -hmm. what matters. And you made it happen. And now, you know, like uh, the bands that you work with are like my mixtape, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and, that's an amazing thing that people should realize because you know, I know what? Sometimes just being there, like it's getting out of bed is nine tenths of the battle. And the fact that you're willing to walk there and you're willing to do it, like it's called paying your dues. And I feel like maybe I'm just becoming an old curmudgeon, but I feel like there's a whole new generation where everyone expects that it's just going to happen overnight or they're just going to be handed it or it's going to be an easy decision. Go work for this insane amount of money doing this best thing and here's your dream job when the truth is, is you got to eat a bunch of shit before you get to the caviar.
1: So much of it. Like, I mean, like I said, I'm I- still
0: eating shit. It's just like, like, yeah, it's just a little bit, you know, more, uh, not in the back with star set where they have their whole (laughs) nice, you know, stuff that that you guys have worked out ahead of time. They got their platter and
3: their, you know, (laughs) there's there's
2: years of eating shit before you get to that. I mean, that's part of the deal with anything.
3: And that's one thing that I think that people, why people have that misconception is that people only show what they want people to see. They're not showing themselves during the struggle, you know. They're they're taking the highlight reel, presenting that, and like, oh no, look at we we made an overnight success. You know, we're doing, and then then other people see that and they go, well, I'm just gonna have to write a hit song. I can't write a hundred songs and work out my my songwriting ability. I need to write one hit song. So I'm gonna spend you know a year writing this one song, and then when people don't like it, they're like, well, oh, what the hell? I thought I was just gonna blow up.
1: Well, I think yeah. I think it was the Somebody, I think it was somebody from the Money Money Boston's who said it, like. Who was the overnight success. Well, it was probably a really long, hard, and sleepless night. And it's true. Yeah, You know, nobody just stepped, like, you know, you eat shit, you don't step in it.
0: Well, well one of my favorite things that our, our benefactor, Scott Benson, who, uh, by the way, is part of our sponsor, our band, Lost Symphony, which is technically the reason we're doing this. Amy, we do this because we have to pivot in of a course. world where you can't travel <laughs> because of the COVIDs. We're now going to do this. The COVIDs. <laughs> but, you know, you all... Uh, um he always says it takes four years to become an overnight success, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's so true because, and there's a lot of people that they get so mad at success and especially in metal. I feel like now, like if you make money in metal, it's almost like people don't like you anymore. It's like, why are people so mad at success? And like, I'm, I found that I've become happy for people that have success. And I feel like there's a lot of bitter people that aren't happy for people that have success, but the people that have the best success, that are doing what they want, that have created their own life. Like you, walked both ways in the snow and, and in the middle of Manhattan, in the winter, you know, with with no AC no in the shoes. summer. Yeah, no shoes. And all you had was your Pantera record to get you by, to get you enough adrenaline, just get home after that day. And that's why you are where true. you are. It's
1: true. I used to listen to... And I salute you. <laughs> <A> Fire! <mouth. laughs> you get it. But yeah, it's not. Everybody has to, you know... Pivot and eat and eat shit. That's pretty much what we're all doing.
3: (laughs) So you, so you were into you know the writing world now and then the editorial stuff and and all that and and you did that for how long before you kind of moved towards the PR aspect of?
1: Um, Yeah, there's a lot of slashes
3: going on in your. Yeah,
1: I know a lot of hybrids, right? (laughs) I know. I um, I basically uh, I was writing at CMJ and I was freelancing for revolver and spin and any magazine that would take me pretty much, I would still write for, it, even I worked, as I worked full-time at CMJ. Um, cause they would let you have side gigs. Cause they're paying you $20,000 a year. Uh, and you yeah. know, you nice know I needed to be able to eat too, <laughs> uh, besides pay rent. And, uh, because I working at CMJ, I was, always talking to all the radio people because it was a radio trade magazine but I also dealing with publicists for all the places that I wrote so I had formulated a lot of relationships on that side on both sides and people working in-house at the labels and after like two years I was like okay I love this job at CMJ but I knew it was not it was an out-of-college job And um, there was a job opening at Roadrunner, and I just – and they mentioned it to me. Oh, hey, you know, we have a publicity assistant job opening, and do you know anybody? I was like, oh, would you consider me? And they were like, yes. So I went in for a couple interviews for it, and they offered me the job, and I actually turned it down. And they were like, oh, okay, well, fuck you then. (laughs) Ah. But it was – yeah, it was tough. I I turned it down because I wasn't ready. And they were like, okay, well, you can go screw. But they were like – you know, they were just like shocked that I turned it down because – uh, they really made it like they sweetened the deal a couple times. And then a year later, um, two jobs had opened there and I, I actually asked to interview for both of them. They said, yes. And they were like, listen, you know, if we offer you one or the other, it's going to be, you know, we're not going to say take no for an answer again and offer it again. So I actually interviewed for both jobs and they offered me the job in the radio department. And I took it because working at CMJ, I already dealt with all the radio stations because I coordinated the radio charts for the metal side. And I already had those relationships and being a writer, having stuff pitched to me, I, you already kind of know how to turn that around and pitch to other people. So I did radio for a couple years when uh, at at Roadrunner, um, you know, radio was very integral to the success of a lot of bands, including, you know, the Slipknot's and the Fear Factories and Sepultura's and Triviums and Kill Switches of the world, because back then, you know, every there was college radio stations that and they were like significantly significant size and there was you know like 250 commercial radio stations I think across the country that had metal shows on Friday nights some had them Friday Saturday and Sunday some had them once a, once a week some had them Sunday nights so there was all these commercial stations in major markets and in in small markets in Idaho that had these metal radio shows and they were we saw that they would sell our records no matter where they were. We'd be like, oh, we got two spins here. We can see sales. So back then there was tons of them. It's not like that anymore. So that was an integral part of helping to break a lot of those bands. So, you know, I would deal with Sirius. I would deal with WSOU. I would deal with WAF. I would deal with WZOR in Appleton, Wisconsin, all over the country, KISW in Seattle, And I did video. So I would do video for bands like Nickelback and and Theory of a Dead Man dealing with all the local video shows and Friday night videos and MTV and stuff like that. So um, I did that for several years. And as the company started changing, they wanted to make some changes and they wanted to move me to the press department. And uh, so I did because it just made sense. I was already pitching to radio for years. And being a writer, I already knew all the editors and writers at magazines because I wrote with them or for them. So it was an easy transition.
2: So Uh, can I ask you real quick, just for the listeners, um, when you say you were working in radio and you referenced a lot of it already, what exactly was your primary job? Were you trying to get radio play for artists? Like what was sort of a day Mm -hmm. in the life as the radio person? Uh,
1: Well, I did what it didn't matter if the station was commercial, community, satellite, college, online, whatever. If they had a metal radio programming, it was my job to, um, you know, to support their efforts to... Get them to play our artists to interview our artists to do giveaways to do ticket giveaways to go cover the show present the show um anything involved with promoting the artists on these radio stations like i said it was hundred thousand watt commercial radio stations and 150 watt college stations it's and there was radio charts so you were trying to get the, the airplay to get them up the radio charts too so it was you know a combination of promoting them and getting them number one on the radio charts and promoting them and getting them interviews giveaways all kinds of promotions with the station so that's what i did and it was everyone from slipknot to kill switch to um, cradle of filth uh obituary trivium devil driver machine head opeth tons and tons of bands dragon force over the years
3: so without going super deep into that uh what does that look like? How, how do you say to a radio station, hey, I got this artist, like, you should play them? Like, what kind of tactics or what what tools do you use to...
1: Uh, a lot of those radio hosts and and radio programmers, they're really passionate about the music. So to take some of those hours of their, their radio programming and dedicate it to a metal show, they have to know that, A, they have the audience, that it works, and that they're into it. So most of those guys loved Roadrunner, and it was easy, and most of the stuff we mm-hmm. were putting out, they all loved it, and they wanted to play it. I mean, it was Machine Head and Type O and Sepultura and Fear Factory and Switch. I mean, to get that played oh, I'll um,
0: tell you what, when I was doing my scam in high school, <laughs> I, I did a ton of stuff with Roadrunner. In fact, I got yelled at because their first show that Slipknot ever played, um, other than with Anthrax in Boston, was at the Ozfest 99. And I had an interview with them and I was supposed to, I forget who I was supposed to talk to, but they all, but they were, it was, no one had any idea who they were. And they kind of all crowd, all nine of them crowded around me. I think I ended up talking to Corey a bunch, but apparently he was like blowing out his vocal folds or something like that on the first tour. And he wasn't wasn't allowed to talk. He wasn't supposed to talk, but he just started talking to me. He just started talking to me because he was mad, mad cool. And he invited me on the bus because I was that loser kid (laughs) <laughs> brought my back my guitar backstage and i had them all sign it and two or three of them weren't wearing masks and somehow it got back to maria gonzalez who worked at roadrunner at the time Oh yeah, i worked with her for many years yeah, super super cool and we laugh about this now but i came both days of the show and the next day oh my god i got yelled at like they lo- you saw them without mask how dare you go on the bus <laughs> and like, meanwhile i'm like 15 or 16. <laughs> it made me cry Cause I'm like, Wait, Whoa, I, you have what? tear ducts. I know, right? <laughs> Not anymore. Listen, they're long gone. Like that. But, but then I was, beard? I was sensitive. I was. it's my emo phase? You were. Okay, you were sensitive, Ben. I get uh, that. I know. I get I, that. Right. So I, I went back the next day, and I was like, Corey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to look at you without a mask, and you guys are great. And but, and he was like, dude, like you're cool, and blah, like, and he like actually, I think he called back the labels. like, why are you picking on this kid? And like, he had my back, but like, I remember, like. I saw them without masks and I had no idea how big of a deal it was because who knew that Slipknot was going to be the biggest band ever. But I can tell you when Maria sent me their first unmixed song, a bounce from Ross Robinson's, um, you know, computer or whatever that had eyeless and surfacing on it. I called my buddy, Dan Hartwell, who we just had on the show who ran a local festival. And I said, I know the band that you need to book. And I went backstage and from the tour bus, convinced them to play this festival in Boston called Loco Bazooka. And by the time they came, and I think they played for free or whatever we covered their expenses, they were the biggest band on the show.
1: Yeah, sounds like you guys lucked out there.
0: Or I have good ears and I knew that they were badass. (laughs) Right, right, right. Right. The first thing I said is, that's fucking drums. (laughs) Joey Jordison (laughs) blew my mind. Like there was the, I said, what are they so angry about? And I remember seeing them. I still have pictures from that first show. And it was literally the first time I was like, Okay, not only does it make sense to have this many people on stage, but like I'm tired watching a band. It's like how you feel after a Slayer show, listening to a band and having Mm -hmm. your eyebrows singed off. Slipknot made me like in my soul feel that. They do that.
2: (laughs) They have that effect on
1: people. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> but going back, I mean, it, I think a lot of people don't realize the incredible importance of of radio and radio play and how much effort and how many people you have to team around to make something like that work. You know, so, I mean, it, it's so interesting to hear from your perspective, like what what all goes into that and getting songs played on the radio and how you help artists, you know, kind of accomplish that.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I actually really I loved it because. Um, The radio department was big and we had regionals that were covering different chunks of the country like the New York regional would cover like Maine to like Virginia and then there would be somebody covering the southwest region, then there would be somebody on the west coast. And I covered nationally, but like a lot of times, I always say that a lot of our radio regionals—they were married or they had families—and on the weekends when there would be like an Ozfest, and there would be a bunch of—we would have six bands on Ozfest, and there'd be meet and greets and promotions and and roadie for a day and stuff like that—they would be like they would tell our boss Dave like Dave, Amy doesn't, Amy's like young and she Amy doesn't have kids. Can she go out and cover that for us? We have our kids this weekend. And my boss would be like, "You want to go out?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I loved it." I would be like, I had to make sure that Zach Wilde was sign his guitars or that Corey Taylor and Joey would be ready for their meet and greets and there were times when I was like I'll, I'll put on a mask if I can't find these guys and go do it because I'm as tall as Joey or whatever but <laughs>
0: that is fucking hysterical it was true I mean, I, could was- ju- I, I, th- I think I had a two hour conversation thinking that you were Joey one time uh, you, yeah I know. I, I, know. I know
1: I know I know I double for him um, I'm his doppelganger <laughs> but um, you know I used to No, you're, at- not as,
0: you're, you're much better looking than Joey <laughs> <laughs> just saying
1: well, we love him. He was. Oh, he, I
0: love Joey too, but but he's he. It's not. He's not Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's the greatest freaking metal drummer. Plays guitar okay. like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Never stops. I give him that. I'm not beautiful, but I can play piano. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we have all of us have our moments.
1: Yeah, you have your you have your your qualities, um, but yeah, I loved it. My it was, mom says, <laughs> um, and all the listeners say it too. But uh, yeah, it was, I I was the most fun I ever had. You know, I was young. I was, uh, I I loved it. I loved getting to meet all the radio programmers at the radio stations and like making the bands do the stuff they needed to do. And a lot of
0: times it was tough because they're,
1: you know, they're, they're on tour. They're, they want to go have fun. They got other things going on. And you you give
0: us a specific scenario. Like Carrie King didn't want to come out because I didn't have enough green Eminem. So instead I had to get Rob Flynn. Like, (sighs) Hmm. there must be something yeah
1: there's tons of it like um there'll be times where it was like oh um somebody overslept or somebody didn't have their laundry or somebody uh, was like oh we don't do these meet greets here we do them back by the stage well this radio station does it back at catering because they're having a barbecue and the fans won like and they they won this promotion and they don't have the right pass so they can't come to the backstage area we have to go there and it was just like making that stuff happen and just like sometimes band members would be arguing and i'd be like hey guys we have to go do this and like oh we're not doing it i'd be like okay i'm gonna get fired if you don't do this but i wasn't <laughs> i was not afraid to play the just uh, imagining
2: all the star set shows ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like we well, always have er- ernie was always there too like at the star set shows the little
0: dog but yeah. um
4: oh yeah oh my god well, true story
0: ernie. so so uh, <laughs> cory and i mainly myself got wasted at a star set show and i started just uh, first off i stole ernie the dog and ran around and like to all the fans with wow ernie. but then but then i apparently t- i had to go back through my stories on instagram the next day like got dustin like yelling at the band backstage and thought it was hilarious and was calling him by the wrong name or something and i'm like horrified that i like because i don't drink very often almost ever and that, like these guys must hate me and i called <laughs> siobhan the next day i'm like i'm never drinking again i'm so sorry please say sorry to the whole band and she's like they all thought you were funny and it was fine blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like meanwhile i'm like going back deleting my stories like how oh dare i i'm horrible you didn't read
1: the room
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, he rarely does
2: <laughs>
0: the dog
3: was cute though oh my god he is
1: that very cute so cool. he is very cute ernie <laughs>
2: Well, let me ask you, and back to radio play, not to stay on it for too long, but, um, you know, d- did you ever find it difficult to get stations to play certain songs or, you know, at least from what I understand of Star Set, I think a lot of times some stations in different areas might be more reluctant to take a leap and play a song that they don't think is good or is going to be a hit. And I, I just wonder, like, what role you play in that and helping to kind of translate the importance of playing a certain song or... You know, like, it seems like you kind of have to have a creative mind for that and know how to talk to people and encourage them that something is good for them to play.
1: Yeah, it's very much um, watching what they're doing and their trends and pointing out why something might be a fit for them. You know, um, a lot of times I was very lucky because Roadrunner was a brand and a lot of these stations knew that what they were getting was going to be good because it was on Roadrunner. And they had the faith of that and the relationship with me and to support what I was doing and to, you know, they knew it's like it is with anything in the music industry and in a lot of industries is doing solids. It's like, okay, if she has this new band, um, you know, uh, kill Switch engage and I play it. She'll help me get something with slipknot when Killswitch was first coming up. Mm. So it was just a matter of, Hey, you, you know,
0: like well, that's a win win.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't hard really though, because I had such great bands
0: you know it's like do you play alive or just breathing oh. or do you put on <laughs> eyeless <laughs> like i mean like literally Killswitch. so Killswitch engage was uh, they're from obviously massachusetts so mm-hmm. like we 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 love them uh you know and we're friends with the guys from shadows fall and like that whole scene that came out but i gotta tell you with Killswitch, i i always tell people because you probably know this like after like 18 to 20 you're you're Brain hardens, and a lot of people don't want to hear new music. I'm that guy. When Dimebag Daryl died, metal was over for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying it's because I, I now produce so much music that, like, my brain doesn't internalize this. So every time I hear a Mashuga song, a Zeppelin song falls out, and I love it. I mean, I I've, I've see these bands, and a lot of the times I'm like, wow, Mastodon is really awesome. I didn't, I didn't know for the last, aren't they new? They're like, dude, they're like 15 years old. Oh. Um, but it's one of those things where um, I got to tell you, Kill Switch Engage. When I heard them, I said to myself, this might be my favorite band. And every single time I see them live, I still say to myself, this might be my favorite band. And in fact, I'm also a huge fan of the Kemper for guitars. And they're the greatest demo of that Kemper, the, the guitar thing that they do. Because the first time I ever heard 2,000 people totally quiet was when Killswitch Engage was like, did it and then they stopped and their noise gate hit in and the whole stage was quiet. And I was like, holy shit everyone was quiet for at least one second for 2000 people and kill switch engage i gotta tell you from boston it they make me so happy and of course as a loser i i you know people are always like do you like jesse or do you like howard and then to see both of them on a (laughs) song together i'm like if they can be friends and cool can't we all just get along truth it is it's
1: that's just the cliche to even ask when people are like oh who do you like better jesse or howard it's like it's two totally different sounds and two totally yeah. different styles do you like
0: ass or tits man you know like, like <laughs> exactly they're both good in their own ways
1: <laughs> i agree
0: you would uh, having
1: worked with all of with both incarnations
0: totally nothing down there just just a just a slit
3: a little a little while ago you mentioned that uh you know that you had like the, the relationship with some of these uh, program directors and music directors and stuff, and that that helped kind of facilitate the you know letting them know they could trust your you know not only the um, roadrunner but your recommendations and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about especially in, a, in an industry like yours and and, and ours in a, in a bigger sense how important those relationships and developing them early on uh, and maintaining them throughout your career has been?
1: I, I feel like it's always really important um, to nurture your relationships and take care of people because people will remember that it's like one hand washes the other. You're always, you know, it it doesn't cost me anything to do somebody a favor when I can. Um, If there, if I can do what I will, there's certain things I can't make happen because I have, there's limitations. And if a band is only going to do certain things uh, and they have set criteria, that's, that's the best that can be done. Uh, But if I can make something happen or hook something up, I will. And a lot of times um, that's just really important because people will remember that because I, you might need something as well, you know. So you have to like, hold on one second. I'm sorry. Something keeps popping up on my. Oh, no that's Okay.
3: It happens Sorry. a surprising amount on the show. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think
2: most episodes there's something
1: which is totally I'm just like, thing now. <laughs> who is who is doing this? I'm like, why do I have these twelve new messages? Well, I'm the like, crazy
0: part was when we had Steve Stevens on the show. He was wearing these sunglasses, <laughs> and we could actually see <laughs> could the see ads coming up <laughs> as they were coming. <laughs> and by the way, d- just to add to everyone on this: how cool was it that I didn't watch the Super Bowl because I'm I I don't I know honestly about, didn't even realize it was about happening. soccer or whatever, but. Um, I heard uh, Billy Idol showed up with Steve Stevens, so that was cool. Yeah, with Miley Cyrus. Some, yeah, with Miley like, Cyrus. Yeah. Miley Cyrus, huh. I'll say it right now. I, I, I hate people that crap on that girl. She's literally one of the most talented people mm. that have come out. And as somebody whose heart has hardened, you know, I've seen her play, like, the <laughs> Grammys. And she did, like, I think she sang, was it last year at the Grammys? And I remember thinking to myself that she was actually the best singer I think other than Janae, uh, Janae Mona, uh, Janelle Monet or whatever yeah. her name was, she's Janelle amazing. Monet. But everyone else, like, she blew them off stage. and Everyone's like, Miley it." And I'm like, dude, she's the best. Because everyone wants to hate on her because of the Hannah Montana and all the weird stuff. But, like, she's super talented. And even when she went and toured, she took the flaming lips with her. You know what I mean? She did. Like, she
1: put out, like, some kind of a release with them, too, I think. It
0: was amazing. Everyone's like, well, the great thing was going to her show because everyone, when she toured on that tour, <laughs> thought that they were going to go see her play wrecking ball because that was like what came out yeah, instead she came out like a uh, like a tricks uh thing of cereal with a giant dildo and smoked <laughs> bong rips on stage yeah, she really did. sang songs about pussy and ev- all you could see were like, adults with their kids in the audience <laughs> going ah, and i'm like this is awesome the flaming lips are playing the psychedelic shit and miley cyrus can sing She's great. So she's like walking around, like changing costumes faster than Madonna and telling everyone to fuck <laughs> off and handing, handing joints to like 16 year olds in the front row. It was fantastic. She's your
2: new queen. How did we get onto to Miley Cyrus? I have no idea. Oh, Super Bowl. I, how do you get on Miley Cyrus? It's a good question. You should figure that out. Do you out talk, your I have own to time. talk to Billy
0: Ray first? <laughs> you can't break his heart though.
2: Well, let's go back. So, um, so Amy, you mentioned at a certain point you transitioned or you got pulled into the PR department at your job and you transitioned from doing radio into more PR. so what what did that look like when you shifted departments? like what what did you do now on a daily basis when you moved over there?
1: It really wasn't much difference because um when I switched over to the PR department, it was basically doing the same thing just with different people instead of radio stations. It was. The media in you know, other media in terms of magazines tv shows late night television online podcasts reaction channels which is now that wasn't back then but uh it was it was really just doing the same thing pitching to just a different sect of the media and telling stories a little bit more whereas in radio you're like jockeying for position and airplay and promotions that help jack the th- jack um, the spins and uh, up the charts in press. You're doing a lot more storytelling and building a press profile. It's a little bit more long term. It's not about the single. It's about the band's story and um, shepherding it and 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 protecting it and managing it. So I learned a lot more about handling like issues and crises in press because in radio, you're 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 basically it's very uh, methodical. And it's almost statistical. And in press, it's a lot more of creating a story and telling it over time and dealing with a lot of things that will pop up in the interim that you're not expecting.
0: Can you give us an example of like a crisis that you've had to deal with that like whether someone died or something crazy mm-hmm. happened or a band broke up, and, you're, and you actually said to yourself, like, what the fuck do I do? Oh,
1: yeah. It's happened quite a few times I've had. You know when Paul Gray from Slipknot died that was um, probably the hardest professional day of my life you know um, he was my friend and he was a brother to people who I consider family which is the members of Slipknot and uh, that was really hard when that happened because it was like I had to be a professional represent the band to the media and also represent the company um, and helping the band navigate getting the news out and and the press conference that they had in Iowa and also dealing with my own grief and my own sadness and watching people that I really cared about um, struggle with, hold on, stop going there, babe. My Sorry. My dog is like trying to go Aww. like, by, like utility room. I don't even know why. Babe, stop it.
0: <laughs> because sorry. you're on a podcast and, and your dog's 2020-ing you.
1: I know. You. I'm surprised he hasn't come over to try to get on the screen. Um, he'll Aww. probably pop over here in a few minutes. Good. But- we encourage it. I know he should be. we we'll let
0: the dogs out, Amy. You. I know who?
1: You. Hey, excuse me, you, you want to come over here? Come on. Um, he'll pop over <laughs> here in a second. <laughs> That's <so> but, cute. <laughs> um yeah, it was when Kyle from We Came as Romans died. That was also really difficult because at that point it was like so like the media that didn't cover We Came as Romans were covering his death. Mm. Like TMZ and, and yeah. major media. And it's because when somebody dies, people click. They want to see about it and just dealing. But those people were always really respectful. And
0: let me ask you about Paul. Uh, uh, for example, can you tell us something that maybe our listeners or viewers don't know that maybe Paul would want people to know about him that like, you know, now that this has all happened and it's all over that you can share with us so we can bring him to life for a moment again?
1: Um. Oh, the, Just the thing about him is that um, – he used to do a lot of the uh, the legwork and a lot of the heavy lifting for me for Slipknot because you know Joey and Corey and Clown at the time they're the the ones that everybody wants and that only the biggest level of the media would get and but we would also have tons of the core media that still um, we wanted their support and needed it and paul did a lot of that
0: he he Is that why i always got paul for the interviews Yeah,
1: because you didn't matter no i'm just kidding by the way he was always so sweet and wonderful to me he was always
0: it broke my heart i mean obviously i can't pretend i was even close to friends with him but like he he literally went though all those guys went so far out of their way every single time i've met them you know even up until like i think a summer ago where the last time they came around they were they're just the sweetest guys and when paul You know, it's just one of those things where I look at my wall and I go, please, let's not lose another one.
1: Yeah, it sucks. It was really, really sad because he was just always the person like I had to rely on him a lot to do shoulder a lot of the work. And he always did it. He was just always just chill and low key. You know, I always, um, you know, never had any um, any drama or issues with him. He was just really, really uh, professional and easy to work with you know and he made my job easier which I always appreciated because it might look like a fun job it, and it is and it looks glamorous and sexy and fun all the time it's not because you basically are are dealing with creative people who are very very sensitive and precious in particular about their art and they should be and you're helping get that out into the world and you're helping shape how people perceive them and sometimes it that's not easy because you're dealing with somebody who creative people tend to just be more emotionally fragile and emotionally you know just um you Go know on <laughs> um just we're you know handling that you have to kind of like make sure that you know how to Process that and be a lot of different things for them, whether it's publicists, therapists, you know, um, just you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to act even faster. Wait, the guy that wrote,
0: fuck it all, fuck this world, fuck everything that you stand for is sensitive. I would never have sensitive guy I've ever met, Corey (laughs) Taylor. No, no, I'm I'm joking. Like, in fact, he's such a, if anyone hasn't heard, he's such a great orator. I I remember going and seeing him just talk. And the guy's hilarious and has a million stories to tell. And- um, man, his lyrics. I remember. I, it's it's one of those things. That I remember again being a, a kid and reading Slipknot lyrics, just kind of like nine inch nails, and going, even if I don't like this music or not, like these lyrics are badass. And they
1: are. And he, but he's really he is an emotional guy. You know, he. I've had some really powerful moments with him over the years, and he's awesome. You know, I never have any. You know, he was always the type that would go the extra mile, and, and was amazing to work with.
3: Can you give us any specifics on that?
1: Like, one time, I remember we had a bunch of press um, set up, a bunch of phoners, and uh, he missed, like, three of them, and I, I couldn't get a hold of them, and he finally called me back because it was at the office, and I was connected to connect all his phoners, and he was like, Games. I'm so sorry. He's like, me and Griffey fell asleep when his son Griffin was a baby. He goes, listen, uh-huh. I know I wasted some people's time, so every person that I had an interview schedule with, I'll give him 15 extra minutes. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He's Corey fucking Taylor, and he did it, and these are big interviews, but he's still – Because he wanted to let the people know that he was sorry. Like, it was just a sweet thing. He fell asleep with his son. But he wanted to let them know that he valued their time. And he valued that they were willing to reschedule with him. He's like, everybody gets 15 extra minutes. And there's a guy who didn't have 15 extra minutes to give three interviews. So... Yeah. And that oh, that incredible. that value that makes somebody like me who's gotta be like, oh my God, I can't get Cory in the phone. But hey, he's just uh, we're gonna you know, he's he's taking care of something in emergency. You have to like yeah. think on your feet yeah. and not lose mm-hmm. the interviewer and not lose the media, but not lose the relationship with the artist. So you want to keep them all copacetic. So if you have to kind of get creative in that, you you have to. So yeah,
3: it seems like it's a balancing act at times. Um yeah, has, you're has
1: serving there... two masters always, and that's never <laughs> you're oh somebody's always gonna be unhappy
3: um and speaking of that when you don't have to to name names or anything but have you run into the the opposite you don't have someone like Corey taylor who maybe makes your job 10 times more difficult because of their their attitude and you can name names it's totally okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i won't name names because it won't be okay for me but i'm lucky um excuse me pardon me um i'm very lucky that most of my guys and girls are easy to work with and they and they they respect um other people's time and the stuff that we, but there's times when life and shit happens or things go off the rails or somebody's just in a bad mood and doesn't want to do something that you've set up for them. And it it sucks, but you just kind of have to like, you know, reboot, hit the, hit that, hit the reset button, recalibrate and just make it happen and move forward. Cause if you just get stuck getting mad about it or, Hey, you can't miss this interview.
0: Well, can you Uh, tell Corey that he missed the interview tonight? So we get 15 Mm -hmm. minutes with him.
2: I'll text him right now. Okay. Thanks. Sure. No worries. (laughs) No, I mean, people like you are so incredibly important. And that's you've said so many interesting things that, you know, just being such an integral part of like crafting the story and being on the journey with so many artists, you know, and that's like something that so many people underestimate is that it's one thing to have great musical ideas or a great lyric or, you know, you're a sensitive person, you want to share something with the world. But you do often need that like really steady person to be there alongside you to help navigate you through all the different things that come flying at you and it's, it's so many people don't get to see that behind the scenes element of it you know
1: no they don't like a lot of times like a lot of my family doesn't understand what they what i do and they just think it's fun and going to concerts and they don't understand it's like well when i got six people yelling at me tell me i'm not doing this or i'm busy or i gotta go find this or my girlfriend's here or i'm hanging out with this girl or things are happening uh, or you know that somebody's running late, or somebody's passes in here, and the band's going on stage, and you have to get there, and everybody's late. It's not as like it, it. They don't. It's not all fun and games. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of times you have to think on your feet and just make something out of nothing, or make something seem like what it's not. It's just like one of the trade secrets, I guess.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh um. It's so it, it seems, especially in your in your current position, you're also you have the responsibility of you know, the outward face of a lot of these artists, uh, like how, how you know, serious is that for you? And, and how do you make sure that you're always um, putting the best foot forward for these artists, even when you have a lot on your docket? Because you have a, you know, very successful company with a lot of bands on it.
1: Yeah, we basically, I mean, I always protect the artist. We'll always, you know, make sure that they're represented correctly and that we're putting them in the best light but if certain things happen you know we still work to protect the artist. get everything you know get the information get the plan get the strategy going but it's all like we're not gonna you know there's a situation where it's like an artist can do something to ruin a media relationship and it's like you have to kind of like be the like save both you know Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. that requires thinking on your feet
3: do you have um like i guess (laughs) I don't want to say like fire drills or. Or do you have like a, a prepared um, response set up for certain situations uh, that may come up often? Or are you you know are you are you always reactive when you know you have to tackle something? Not always super serious, but just how I guess how do you um, run the day to day and prepare for things that come up?
1: Well, yes, a lot of things are reactive and you can't prepare for them because you have to think on your feet with them. But then there's certain things where it could be something as basis as people not understanding that like a press strategy can be not doing press. I have two front people who, um, maintain mystique and make people want them even more by doing very little press. And a lot of times people will come to me and be like, I want to interview this person. I say, I'm sorry, they're not available. And they're like, well, did you even ask? <laughs> I don't need to ask because long before you ever emailed me months, and months <laughs> ago, I had a conversation with the artist and their manager and said, here's what we want to do. Here's our strategy. Here's who we can talk to. Here's who we're not going to talk to. And here's why. And if you don't fit the criteria of the of the list of press they want to do because this artist, two of these artists have done press for 15 years. They have earned the right to say no now. And if they want to create a mystique and a mystery about themselves, I am, it, it is it is a perfectly viable and successful press strategy.
0: What happens when you have a, a guy like, was it was it Taco Man in Slipknot where like they had to literally be under wraps the, like, I mean, what, what's it like to keep a secret like that, where like everyone in the world's one? Like, the amount of forensic science that has gone into trying to figure out that it's <laughs> it's, it's stupendous. It's like, his own what,
1: discipline. B- so that's what it's like for you. You just have to not. Well, I, I mean, I didn't handle that particular situation, but w- when that stuff happens, you just have to. S- you know, be really very careful with the wording that you say, because if you say no comment, sometimes a media outlet will, that is a comment. So you just don't say anything. That's why you can't respond sometimes. Um, But yeah, you just have to have like, you just have to be really careful about what you say, you know, or how you say it or saying anything at all. I don't, I don't, I don't, I I actually don't know.
0: (laughs) Is that, is that a true story? You have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> no comment. I don't believe you, but that's awesome. <laughs> no, You're doing no your comment. job so well. So see, well. <laughs> see, all this is, this is, is a She's a pro, Ben. She's a, 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 pro. She's a total pro. This Look is a clinic. On it. I don't know. She's hanging out, chilling afterwards, getting some vino, probably playing mm-hmm. some piano with her. That's I cool.
1: am. Yeah, he is. He's it's the most it. interesting man in the
3: world. We've got a few minutes left in in this first episode, uh, and and we hope that you'll join us for a second. But uh, and, and I think in the second one, I I I'd love to get some more, maybe some like, some tips and tricks that you've learned along the way for people that are not just establishing a brand or, or band, but also any kind of brand and, and how they can put themselves out there. Um, but we don't quite have time to dive into that right now, um, I guess. So before we get into that, what else you know, do you do with your time outside of uh, the, the PR world?
1: Well, I always tell people it is a, a lifestyle more so than it is a job. Like, it does eat into the weekends, late hours, early hours. And that's fine because, like, I always say a lot of my friends – um they have jobs that they hate and that's why they have to go to happy hour. I'm not a big drinker. So, you know, I wouldn't, I don't relate to that, but I get why they would have to go to happy hour after a shitty day at work and mm-hmm. just get drunk to let go. I never have that. I mean, I might be working until 10 o'clock that night at a show, but I never feel like I hate my fucking job. Well, ever. If you go know- see machine yeah.
0: head, and yeah, exactly. Play the burning red. <laughs> why, that is happy hour. Yeah, it literally like, is happy okay. hour for me. Like what the fuck do you need to do? And I'll tell you this. When I, I was blessed enough to go see typo, and hang out with those guys. Uh, I, I, Peter Steele drank enough for everybody. That he guy did. went through like three bottles of a wine, wine yeah, in a show. A and he might have been guy. six foot 19, wow. which is fine. But like, uh-huh. I 20. don't know how any human being could <laughs> consume that amount of alcohol and still play Christian woman for 10 minutes and be fine.
1: He had a hollow leg, I guess. But, um, but yeah, it's...
0: Um, is that what Pantera were writing about? He is hollow as... I, was that a Peter Steele yeah, homage? I think it
1: was. I think it was. Okay. <laughs> You're the, you're, you're the metal, so I have I'm to find lying. it from real source.
0: <laughs> I'm just lying, or maybe I'm not. Well, that's the job of PR, right? Half the time, it's, it's just a lie. For it's, them. It's for a good cause. You say lie, we say spin. Do you say white lie, or do you Indeed. say black lie, because it's metal?
1: Um, we say spin.
0: There you go. It's but all they, about how you spin it. Ah, just like the magazine.com Yes, true. So, Amy, before, before we, first off, ask you to come back, if, if you'll be kind enough, What can people who are listening and watching do to find out more about you? I know you have a blog. I know that you talk about fashion, all kinds of cool stuff. I do. Yeah. If if, if they don't have the attention span to come back this next later this week, because they're morons, (laughs) tell them how they can find out right now and get some instant gratification. No, they probably hate me. Okay, it's about okay. me amy it's You're not about de- you they hate me <laughs> You're we're gonna have to release a off.
3: second we We'll release a second version <laughs> with your mic muted. i
0: know we'll just
1: mu- yeah. we'll just erase you out
0: um, <laughs> you take out all the coughing <laughs> <laughs>
1: um where people can find knowing well about the company would be adamslitterpr.com but i'm also on all socials instagram facebook um
0: i followed under, you
1: under my name. did you I did. Oh, I'm going to have to look. I was going
0: to go like some of your stuff so you would follow me back <laughs> in one of right those creeps. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really hard, though. It's at the Benny Goodman. So the, if you're confused, if there's a Benny Goodman one, not Is there a comedian
1: me. named Benny Goodman or something? It sounds like there a- It was a
0: clarinet player. He was the oh, king okay. of swing. Okay.
1: The king of the swing. I am swing. neither
0: a king nor do I swing. Okay.
1: But but I do
3: sing,
0: sing, sing.
1: Uh, look at that. You got a good, you got good delivery.
3: <laughs> so we'll have some links. To, to your sites. Um, thank you. And uh, we appreciate you coming on for this first hour. Oh, I, I, I had you. a good time. And thank uh, you so
0: much. And you guys have been 2020
2: and much love to the
0: heavens. Please to go to
3: friends. 2020-d.com and subscribe so you do not miss future episodes.
2: And stick around for part two with Amy.
3: Thank you as always for watching this episode of 2020 This week's throwback clip is from episode number nine with our good friend Jason Costa of All That Remains. Check it out our
0: our
2: band our videos some of them will get 20 million downloads but we're not selling 20 million albums mm-hmm. so like technically you know if you put if you equate that to you know 20 years ago whatever we should yeah. all be, we should all be millionaires
3: yeah I mean, yeah yeah so,
0: but but we're not you know we make a decent living it's like uh, a good business good we're working for a good business we get the corner office with the window you know yeah. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> thats I mean that's what it is now for bands at that echelon but there are still like Bigger
3: echelons that are around, like Five Finger Death Punch. Those guys make tons of money, you know. Mm -hmm. And just, I I feel like it's maybe it's harder, I guess, to move echelons, like to
0: go from the band in the van to the band in the bus, and then Mm -hmm. the band in the bus to the band with, you know, the buses and the trailers to bring your stage show with you.
4: This